There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Are you listening to Under the Radar with me, Sean? Mark Thomas is my guest. First question for the second part, before we talk about your new show, is when did you think you got so political? Because, like... You kind of became an activist rather than a comic for a while. Yeah, and I still sort of... I'm, I'm obsessed with that relationship of how what you do uh, inside a theatre exists outside. I love the idea that actually um, you can do something on stage that is about outside and then you can go and... And, and it has repercussions. People go and do things on the back of it. Um, I, lo- I was always obsessed... Uh, but not from the very start, though, eh? No, no, no. But from, from when I went to... I remember seeing a Bertolt Brecht play when I was 16 and really was amazed that you could change your mind in a performance. You could think one thing and then come out of the performance and think another. I've always right. been sort of slightly obsessed with that. Um, but I think it was a gradual process that kind of started with, you know, the new material nights and then doing the cutting edge and then finding out that you can do more and more political things. And then when, when I got the Channel 4 show, it was, it was a question of, oh, well, what can we do? Well, where, where were you getting your information from, though? Uh, what, what do you mean in terms of information? In, in terms you know, where you'll go, oh, this bad thing's happening, which I wouldn't be aware of. Um, well, we started, the process started when the first series, you know, if you read Private Eye and every page of The Guardian, then you would be able to find out our source notes. The second series, when, because, you know, we'd do things like in the first series, we'd get MPs in, Tory MPs in, and say, look, there's a coming election, you must appear. We're doing a youth programme, and they really wanted young people's votes, right. and I would dress up as a bear and interview them, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And bless it, Tom Jolly was on our research team back then, which was very sweet. So we did that, and then we suddenly thought, actually, we could get more factual information in. So we started to... Somebody told us a story about, um, about the seagull crap on Sellafield, on the beach, uh, being contaminated with radioactive material. Okay. And so we just went, well, if that's true, you should be able to go and do it. A sample and do find out if it's true, and we hired a scientist to go and collect seagull crap samples from the beach, and they were full of radioactive isotopes wow. straight from cellophane. Um And in fact, they when we did the show about it, um, it cost them a million quid in cleanup operations, um, and they See, were that's, forced that's to admit. To love, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make, but it's like, change. but you know, it's, what for me was really exciting was like, whoa, look what we can do. Yeah. You know, we can go up there and we can get them to do something that changes the law uh, or changes the way they operate. We did change the law on, on inheritance tax, you know, which was about this conditionally exempt work of art list, which is where if you inherit a work of art, you get to put it on a list, but you don't pay inheritance tax. You just, but you must allow the public in to see it at some points. And what happened was people were just treating it as a scam. So all these people just go stately home, bang, everything into. It, inherited it, I don't pay a jot of tax because it's open to the public. There was no information about when it was open, where it was, who, that, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we played with that and we changed the law on it and it, 
And by the third series, we were going, OK, let's find stuff that nobody else knows about. And so we were running a research team. So there was, we'd go over to, um, we'd go over to, to the Greek arms fair and pose as media advisors on how to handle uh, human rights abuse allegations. And we got, you know, the, the Indonesian generals to admit to torture. You know, so you, and, and it was kind of like, well, we can do this, we can play. And that do sense of play... Do you find that so much better than comedy, though? Well, there, for me, it was kind of like the, there was... I've always, uh, since starting that point, and I think the, the strands were there always. The things that I'm obsessed with are kind of comedy and theatre and journalism. And that's where the kind of stuff that I do now kind of ends up in this weird place. And it's exciting because I think you get what you get with stand up is stand up has a great way of just going, get to the point. Yeah. Just you get to the point as quick as you can and if you're delaying there better be a very good reason you know and theatre's got this brilliant thing where it can just go okay we're going to take you on a, on a journey which is emotional which is you can actually empathise and you'll feel empathy with someone else's situation but be able to reflect on your own which is really interesting yeah. and then journalism has but this great thing which is just like, as well, yes it can it can we've but, done that me and yeah you. no 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 absolutely but the stuff no, you're absolutely right, but that's the that's, that's why I'm saying the three things yeah. put together: journalism, yeah, which is like trying to bring make it the factual element. The, the last show I did, Cuckooed, um, is about you know was that's about, about the, your friend letting you down, was it? My mate who was who turned out to be working for BA Systems, yeah. who was employed as a spy, and we, you have to go through it and go, okay, what can we? You can't just go. My mate, we was a spy. You can't do that. You have to go. These are the reasons we have for believing it, and. A court, BA Systems were forced to admit in court that they spied on campaign against arms trade. There are court documents that, you know, actually that's what happened. They have admitted to it. They have implicated various people and said, we employed X, Y, and Z. So you have to build the argument around the facts that you have, and you can't, you can't, you know, you have to put those facts in so it's accurate. And actually, within the show, there's a thing called the Reynolds defense, which is a journalistic. Um, defence, where is if you have a public interest story and you think it's important and you're 99% of the way there but finally the the person won't admit to doing it and you haven't quite got the smoking gun, then you can produce all the evidence you have, you give them a right to reply to get them, you put all the stuff to them, you get their response and you publish it w- with, you know, those, you publish those things together. And actually that is in the show, There's a, there, there is built into the show the fact that we have put all the facts that we have, we have put them to this guy, Martin, and his response is in the show completely and utterly. And so those things of, of journalism and theatre and stand-up yeah. are really exciting for me. Those are the bits that really that push all my buttons. But you get a little bit worried that, um, like, the police and MI5 and stuff, they, they know you. Yeah, well, there is. I mean, you say they know you're absolutely right. I'm taking uh, legal action on the Metropolitan Police at the moment. There's there's six of us who, because I'm a member of the National Union of Journalists, and there are six of us who are on a list called the Domestic Extremist Database. Um, So, and that enables the police to put you on surveillance and collect data about your activities. Um, I applied for my um, my file under the Data Protection Act, and they'll send you cut, paste, redacted bits and bobs. So they list when I do book readings, when I do benefits, when I do fundraisers, when I do speak at political rallies, when I do occasional bouts of journalism. And those are all monitored. Um, And 
there is a real that, that you, you can't be monitoring. People. You know, I should say I haven't got a criminal record. I know yeah. it sounds kind of slightly. <laughs> some people might not believe it. I don't have a criminal record. Um, this is an illegal podcast, Mark. I'm, Oh, well, you've duped that's, that's, me into that's it. That record gone. That's it, I've gone. Uh, well, I have to be taken to court first, but what that means is is you have... There's six of us all in all who've found that we've got files, who've applied for it. They range from Sunday Times journalists through to Guardian video diarists and uh, video journalists uh, to award-winning photographers. One bloke has a file, because we've, we've applied for our files, we've seen it. Um, one bloke's file actually starts when he was photographing an apple orchard near Heathrow for an article on the decline of the English apple. <laughs> That's where his file starts. And it, it, our basic point is you shouldn't be monitoring journalists if you've committed no crime, if, you know, it's quite obvious. So you're pretty much saying stop following me? Yeah, well, we've served, we've served a judicial review on the Metropolitan Police uh, using Article 8, 10, and 11, which is the right to privacy, right to freedom of expression, and the right to freedom of association. So, but does uh, it scare you, though? Um, uh, th- th- yeah, sometimes it does. But, I mean, you also... Y- y- there's a thing where you just have to go, look, this is a slight badge of honour. Uh, there is always that reaction where people go, yeah, but you'd be disappointed if you weren't on it, which is kind of true. You know? know which yeah, is, but... yeah, kind of true, but it's not really... You know. Th- it is nuts that you have got data being collected on people like this. It's nuts you've got Jenny Jones, who is the Green Party mayoral candidate, who is on the dom- domestic extremist list. She's having her details monitored as well. Yeah. The Green Party candidate who's standing against Nigel Farage in Thanet is a domestic extremist and is on this list. You know, this is... Like, obviously, the uh, the kind of election will be finished when this goes mm. out, but so are you kind of just dreary by the whole political... Situation. It's it's an interesting. The election was the most exciting election with the dullest campaigns. Yeah. Because actually, you have UKIP, SNP, Greens, Plaid. You know, you had people that you could actually go. Well, these are these are voices outside the mainstream who could affect uh, and bring about change, um, and that's really exciting. Um, the fact that actually coalition politics are really becoming a fixture. It's the future, isn't it? You know, is really exciting. So you have all these things where it's up for grabs, but the campaign was really, really dull. I think the... the well, endless, I'd say. Well, they started really early, went on for bloody ages, and actually it was going, you know, I don't need to see, you know, someone else standing in front of one of those boards that, you know, those little fold-up boards that you bring out with a slogan on it. I just, I don't need to see where, that. Where you live, so, who's in? Uh, Chaka Umar is the, uh, uh, Umana is in the... Uh, is he Labour? Yeah, it? he's Labour. Yeah. So that's... That's it, that's kind of... Right. So will you bother voting then? Green. Yeah, but see, I, I'd always vote Green, but I just go, they're not going to get in in Harringay. And uh, um, Lib Dems have got a 5,000 majority over Labour, so I thought I'd give my vote to Labour. I quite like the idea that you can vote for something you actually like. I like I the idea that actually I'm voting because I want uh, the voice for a re railway to get louder. Yeah. I want 
the idea that we can renationalise the um, utilities to get louder. I want the idea that actually you have to do something on climate change to get louder. I want all of those things. I want the idea that actually paying a living wage of 10 quid an hour is not something that is just kind of like, oh, we can't be doing that. I, I, I want totally all of those you. things to get louder. The only way that they get louder is if you actually support the people who advocate them and actually get out and campaign yourself on them. No, that's, that's a very different point, but I totally agree with you. But as I say, like, you know... I'd, I'd be green all the way, but like it'll be f- seven of us voting green, and you're just going, they're just going to laugh. Do you know? Me. Great, seven. Next time it'll be nine. Let's build on it. You I'm not going to live that long, Mark. <laughs> you will. You will. But so, so I that... love the fact that you can vote for something you actually want in, in power, and that you don't have to go. Oh, well, look, I just I'm going to vote for the less shit. Do you know what I mean? You, uh... you you can go. Actually, I want to put something that's worthwhile. And actually, I think that the number of votes count. The number of votes count, and do you the think re- so, yeah, though? they do. And I think it will count in the long run because. Um, You've got these forces of coalition politics and bubbling away constitutional reform and the state of the union. All these forces bubbling around that are saying, actually, something has to give, something has to change. Yeah. And the, the way that people campaign has to change, the way that people govern have to change, the way in people, uh, uh, the ideas that people have has to change. Now, that could mean you're going, OK... We need to look at a whole range of things from PR to, you know, to, to uh, oh, look lobbying. Look at PR. Look at Dave's face smiling. I hate PR. I think it's the... Oh, it's just... You know, people selling stuff, you know? It's frightening in that sense. And that's what they're doing with <laughs> politics now. They're selling you... But also, it's that thing of, like, all the politics... Uh, all the policies are fairly similar. And they just won't tell you where... No, I think there the are. From. There are kind of. There are. Uh, you're, you're right that there is a coalescence of um, of what is essentially Thatcherite ideology um, of of the of austerity, which is very much an ideological driven thing to actually go. We're going to whittle away the state, and we're going to get people. You know, that no more. Well, the rich have to support the poor. Did and, you like? And that's at a the very. Time, that, by the way. No, I always. I remember I voted for Labour back in '97 because I wanted to get rid of the Tories. Um, but I remember doing a gig the day after Tony Blair won that election. It was in Brighton. It was on a, in a tent on that bit of uh, common ground as you go into Brighton. And I remember walking on stage. My first line was, please forgive me the indulgence, but I've waited 18 years to say this. That Labour government, what a bunch of bastards. And it was a gr- and that was it. That was laying out the stall as far as I was yeah, concerned. you were right. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of like... And, and they, they have continued the Thatcher experiment. They privatised air traffic control. They brought in PFI, which was unworkable under the Tories. They were getting money off the... You know, of getting debt off the books. But, in fact, putting the nation into debt. We're renting bloody hospitals. Yeah. This is insanity. The Home Office is owned by a company that registered out in Guernsey. This is nuts. We're paying taxpayers' money to rent a bill to people who dodge tax. It's nuts. This is Labour's legacy. And and so, you know, and then and then the Iraq war. So it's unforgivable, isn't it? I believe it is. It's a very it's a very interesting... somebody I had my postman who's lovely, he says, So who are you gonna do then, Mark? And I, he said, uh, you gonna do Labour? And I said, No. He said, What's that? He said, Oh, I'm a socialist. He said, Oh yeah, no, good point. <laughs> it was lovely. We have we swapped books on um on punk and new wave bands. 
Were you a postman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's lovely. Man. He's really great. Actually, I've just got. He's given me the injury. Mine doesn't turn up to two o'clock, so <laughs> they're not having any chat with him. We have a good old natty comes and sees the gigs. I've I've got his injury, and he's got my reckless Eric. Oh, I love reckless Eric. But so your new show then? Because yes. what I love about you is um, I wouldn't uh, even a, a betting uh, firm would not be able to go odds on what Mark's next show is about. <laughs> I know it's nice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I like that. I like the fact. Well, do you know what? I've, I've got this new. Uh, it's very weird because I had this idea for a show the other day, and I was going, "Oh, I want to do this." No one will see this one coming, and I think in a couple of years' time, I'll do it. Do you want to talk about it? I'm going to see every single Shakespeare play in a year, oh and I'm going to see every single one. But I'm going to travel around the country and see them. So I'll see them in amateur dramatic societies, in schools, and I want to see them sort of like wherever their existence. Not just the RSC and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I want to see every single play in a year. And what I want to do is find out, like, there's this notion that Shakespeare is quintessentially British. That this represents something of our culture that we that embodied. In, within the work of these British values and Britishness. And actually, I want to go and have a look. But um, it's intriguing. But um, having done Shakespeare on the stage, um, they're not a lot of fun. No, I'd, I'd, I'd challenge you on that. <coughs> I'd challenge you on that. It's just depend- I played Touchstone. Who's a clown? Uh, well, yeah, <coughs> as you like it. So, But I went to see um, Merchant of Venice at the Globe the other day, which I, I think is one of the greatest theatres going. And it's really brilliant. It's a fantastic... Have you ever been there? Have you ever seen yeah, stuff yeah. at the Globe? You know what it's like? Because if you're in the yard, you pay five quid for a yard ticket. Which is good. Right? Which is brilliant. And suddenly you understand all the soliloquies, because all it is, bloke talking to you. There you are. That's what it is. You know, and suddenly you go, OK, this is great. And I love the fact that you get... like uh, Jonathan Price was playing Shylock, and they'd done a brilliant production, which was... A, that just took Shakespeare's original, you know, which is about, you know, Shylock being a villain, yeah. you know, and a cartoony character to some Prick degree. me, do I not bleed? Well, there you go. <coughs> but he, he there, there is a, you know, he is very much the villain and he gets his comeuppance. But actually, what they did was they soaked the play in this, in this environment of anti-Semitism, which certainly brings, it's just brilliant. It was absolutely amazing performance. Best thing I've seen this year, including Kitson's Tree, which I loved. Which I, I just I didn't see that. It's typical kits, isn't it? <clears throat> I'm going to write a play, but I won't actually appear on stage. I'll be up a tree. Mm-hmm. I love the, 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 the... There is a bit of me that just goes, I love the... the, the just the, that bloody-mindedness. But I, I must say from... But do, do you not think that the, the interesting thing about it, because I went to see um, Mark Rylance and Stephen Fry do Twelfth Night. Well, Mark Rylance is genius. And Rylance is... Just absolutely one of those actors you go, uh, every performer should see you and then just go away and sit about what the hell they're Have doing. Have you seen uh, a TV programme called The Grass Arena? Uh, no, I haven't. Check I've got to go and see it? Okay. No, just if you can get it, because it's him. It, it's the famous story about a tramp who became a chess master. Okay. But Rylance plays it. And, uh, okay, I should try and hunt this down. It's beautiful. Because I would <laughs> see him. I loved him in Jerusalem. I thought he was... Uh, I never got to see that. Dandy. He was just brilliant. But I went to see him in, in Twelfth Night, and I properly lost it. I was laughing uncontrollably at the end of a Shakespeare oh, play. You've changed, and I've, You've I've, changed. I've said to... I turned to my son who was with me and said, I want you to remember you've seen a Shakespeare comedy that's funny. Yeah. 
<laughs> that know? is, and it's and it, and and it is unusual that you see these things. Uh. I saw them at Beth up in. Um, in fact, I saw. I was thinking about this the other day. I saw Andy Johnson. Do you remember Cyril the Tortoise? A guy called Cyril the Tortoise, who was an actor who used to impersonate tortoises, who started roughly the same time. Thankfully, no. He was very good. He went on to become a drama teacher, and I saw his production of Macbeth, which he just set in this weird scrap playground. And so it was kind of like all this... It was just just the most inventive thing, and it was really exciting to see. Equally, I went to see a production of a Polish theatre company in Edinburgh, and it it was like the Raw Tournament does Macbeth. And it was thrilling... It was done, they, they, they entered, they set it in Iraq, and it was done with a guy just, Macbeth, abseiling in with machine wow. guns. And what was great was they had, I mean, the acting was just stunning, but they really played with what it was. So when Lady Macbeth is doing this soliloquy, she's lying. So the stage is a utility room with a plastic sheeting front, the dining room, the living room above them, a uh, big iron girder in the middle where they project the English translation, OK, because wow. it's in Polish. Then a balcony and a wall. When, the, when Lady Macbeth is doing this, look, she's lying on a chalon and she looks up at the ceiling and delivers her speech to the ceiling. But at the same time, they've got a camera up there and so this enormous close-up of her face appears on this wall that is just absolutely... Incredible. When one of the witches does, she, she does this. She she does a, a piece, and they just film her close up, and you do, you never actually see the cameras or anything like that. Um, and they just blow it up on this thing. You see her pupils dilate during this, this scene, and it is so exciting. Lady Macbeth is standing on a forecourt, just washing the blood off with a hose. All this kind of stuff. And <coughs> do you was, like your Shakespeare? It, it brilliant. No, but when you see <coughs> productions like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that are all about what you know, that contain that celebration of what's in the play. And Macbeth, that visceral, real kind of like to actually kill someone, to kill a king, to kill the most powerful thing. You know, this is this is you know, but this is the day of the jackal of its well, time. I, how come you don't do any acting then? No one's ever asked me to tell you the truth. But you have to kind of push towards that. No one's ever asked me, I think. It's probably the Do you fancy it? Yeah, I'll give it a go. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what one night, I'll learn your lines. <laughs> Railway children. <laughs> Can you see perspicacious? <laughs> and so, ne- like, that's but the don't show... You, do you know what I mean? But there is stuff that, that is really exciting in Shakespeare that is really, really thrilling oh, to yeah, see. But... And when you see something like King Lear... Right, I've seen Bob Peck do it, and I've seen uh, Michael Gambon do it, and I've seen Belarus Free Theatre do it with overtitles, right? Yeah. And they have no inhibition about what it is they're doing. They've got no kind of... The culture isn't stuck on them, the Ivan Beck pentameter isn't well, stuck on them. Well, I must say, from doing as you like it, like we had, like, six weeks rehearsal, and you really do learn what he's talking about, you know, where you wouldn't normally. There's someone, you know, just saying, oh, this is what he means by this. Like, unfortunately, a lot of the uh, comedy is double entendre and it's kind of sexual. Yeah, but there's also, but but it's also this stuff there that is almost like a farce. You know, if you look at the way that things unfold in Twelfth Night of mistaken identities mm-hmm. and people coming in at the wrong moment and the right moment and all that kind of stuff. Plus, there's great characters. There's really good stuff that almost comes straight out of the commedia. You know, you look at Malvolio in Twelfth Night, which is his. 
wonderfully sort of classic curmudgeon, you know. And I love all of that stuff. And actually, that that comedy isn't just in the wordplay. I think I know. Yeah. There, there's a lot. You know. You know. You've done it. It's but so, but like that's the show that you're dreaming of. Yeah, what, yeah, what's your next lovely. show though? Oh, the next show is about trespass. <laughs> It's called Trespass. Right, so just again about... Um, it's just about how much we've lost and trying to find it in terms of how much public space and public communal things we had that have gone, whether it's a council house, whether it's a railways, whether it's the water, but just as importantly, whether it's the Thames footpath, which is permissive and you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that, or whether it is... You know, the fact that you can't... You go walk in the square mile, the only bit that's publicly owned is that bit in front of St Paul's. You know, the rest, it's all corporate space and corporate... Yeah. You know, playing fields have sold off Jack Straw when he became governor of Pimlico. First thing he did was sell off the, the things in a PFI deal. So... Is it all written, by the way? Pardon? Is it all written? No, no, not one word of it. So you're not taking this to Edinburgh, though? Yeah. All right. Uh, that's the end of uh, Under the Radar, because Mark Thomas has to go and write a show. Well, that's it. You give yourself time and you go and do it. Yeah. But you haven't had that much time, though. No, but we've got some ideas. You always have ideas, Mark. I've this got is... some ideas. But I'd, what I want to do is one of the most iconic walks of, of in, in British history is Kinder Scout, where people did a mass trespass on the land at Kinder Scout. 1930s, and there is very working class ramblers escaping the penury and grime of the city to experience the thrill of being out in the countryside and the view. And they break on... They say, we're going to mass trespass. The landowners hire extra gamekeepers. The gamekeepers encounter the ramblers who beat them up uh, and then go on to the summit where they have a picnic. According to the Manchester Guardian, they clear up after them, sung the Internationale. They go back down to the village where the organisers are arrested and serve five months in prison for the principle of enjoying the view. Mm. And I love that. Listen. I think that is a wonderful <coughs> thing. So we, we're taking that as our starting point Great. and saying, OK, what would the Ramblers do in London? Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure and privilege. And Lovely to see you, mate. Stay out of prison, yeah. <laughs> Actually, well, I think probably the, the best advice you could give me is stay away from Shakespeare, to be honest. <laughs> well, it's a big old task, but listen, you've been listening to one of the radio, very special guest, Mark Thomas. Uh, absolutely adorable. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 